Very good. All right. Debbie. Pastor Debbie. How about we just jump to our feet? Let's just put our hands together and just honour the Word of the Lord and the bringer of the Word. Very good. Thank you so very much. Wonderful to be together on another single service Sunday, having everybody in the room. Um, lovely to have you all here today. Actually, there was one thing um, during worship. I had just suddenly had um, a weakness in my left leg, and I just wondered if there's anybody here this morning who's got pain or weakness in their left leg. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, okay. Can you just leave your hands up? And I just want to pray for you for that. It was just like a sudden kind of pain that came. I'm like, that's just, yeah, let's just take that as a word of knowledge that we're going to go after this. So um, maybe church family, just turn around, just um, stretch out your hand to somebody that's got their hand raised, and let's just agree for restoration over these legs. So, Father, we thank you that you are our healer. We thank you that everybody that came to you was healed, and we just thank you you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in Jesus' name, we take authority over pain and weakness in legs, and we just command peace in Jesus' name. We command healing right to the very root of these issues in the incredible name of Jesus. We thank you for your power at work, Jesus, the same power that rose you from the dead working inside of these bodies. We just declare full restoration, health, wholeness, and strength that they will stand strong in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right. Very good. Amen. He is. All right. The glory of God is man fully alive. Let me say that again. The glory of God is man fully alive and woman, but we're just saying mankind here. The glory of God is man fully alive. Now, that was said by um, this person called St. Irenaeus, and he was a great theologian of the church way back in the second century. Now, being fully alive is a concept that I've kind of been mulling over for a few years. It just kind of dropped into my heart one day. And I thought, what would it look like if we as believers, as followers of Jesus, if all of us were living fully alive? Now, John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Not just have life, but to have fullness of life. You know, and that's such a contrary statement to what the world believes that being a Christian looks like. You know, the world kind of thinks, come to Jesus and your fun's over. You know, not, but Jesus is saying, come to me and you'll see what living really means. Not trying to fill your life with stuff. Not trying to fill the gaps with maybe addictions or relationships or whatever it is. But Jesus is saying that come to me and you will truly live as a whole, complete, full of peace, full of joy human. That is his plan for us. You know, that statement, the glory of God is man fully alive, is saying that we truly glorify God when we are living to our fullest potential. It also describes the dignity that every single human being has as well as, like I said, God's desire that we would live life to the full. Now, we're in the middle of our identity series, and for the last two weeks, Glenn's been speaking on that. And if you haven't heard those messages, can I really encourage you, go listen to them. Head over to YouTube or um, look, at, look us up on a podcast. They are messages that need to be heard and, like, mulled over. So Glenn um, talked about that identity is, identity is defined as the answer to the question, who am I? 
And yes, we can look inside of ourselves and we might understand aspects of our identity. We can look outwards to others and we might look to find um, some significance from other people around our identity. But the gospel says, first of all, look up to Jesus because he is the one that gives you your identity. You know, we can't actually understand who we are until we understand whose we are. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I also want to just acknowledge um, Pastor Taryn Williams from South Africa for some of this content today. Let's just pray together before we go any further. I just want to hand this time to God. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in this place. We know you're already with us, but we just thank you for your revelation coming today. God, that you will um, just speak to us through your word. God, that your word will accomplish everything you intend it to accomplish today. I thank you, God, that your word is living and active. Father, just settle what needs to be settled in us today. Reveal what needs to be revealed and um, yeah, just minister your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look about what, um, first of all, about what the Bible says about identity. And if you look in scriptures, there's kind of three main parts to the identity journey um, in the Bible. So the first one, creation. That is our original glorious identity, where we are made in the image of God. And I just want to read a few verses from Genesis 1. Let's just go back to the beginning. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. As humans, we are made in the very likeness of God. No other creature can claim that. That is something that only we get to take hold of. We are intricately woven together by God himself. And Psalm 139 says that so beautifully. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Lisa Bevere says it like this. She said, God uniquely created your DNA and knit your frame in secret so he could surprise the world. Just pause on that for a moment. He authored how your heart expresses itself. He was the architect of your smile and the melody of your voice. He made all of your features with the fondest thoughts of only you in mind. He celebrated along with your parents your first smile and watched with affection your first steps. You are made in the image of God. Part two in the story is the fall within creation where our identity was damaged, not lost, just damaged. You know, when the serpent suggested to Eve that she eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he caused her to question what God said. He said, did God really say that? You know, that's a big part of the um, story of our identity journey, a question that plagues us. Did God really say that you're a work of art? Did God really say that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Did God really say that you're good? Did God really say that he loves you? That's the devil's tactic, to make us question. And he continues to try and make us question who we are and whose we are. The third part in this story is the gospel, 
where we become new creations in Christ, where Jesus Christ redeems us, where our identity is gloriously restored because of what Jesus did at the cross. Ephesians 1, if you want some scripture on that, go read Ephesians 1, just mull over it. But here's just a few verses from it. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It says right there in scripture, before the world was created, God chose us. Just want to say that together for a moment. I'm just going to say in a moment, just say God chose me. Do you think we can do that? Yep. Okay, let's say it on three. One, two, three. God chose me. Let's say it again with a bit more conviction. God chose me. That is truth right there. Before the world was made, he had already decided to adopt us as his very own sons and daughters. And it says in the word of God, because he wanted to. It says that it was God's pleasure and his will to adopt us. Big thoughts right there. And if you don't yet believe in Jesus, you are made in the image of God and you are still chosen by God. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Let's break that open. The first thing, to be made in the image of God means that we are royalty. You know, in the ancient world, every tribal nation had a king. And often on the thrones were inscribed the words, the image of God. So in those um, tribes and those nations, there was only one person who represented God. And I guess he wasn't a sense or she, the under ruler, the earthly counterpart to the divine ruler. So when the Bible says that every human being is made in the image of God, it's saying that you are a special representative of God to the world. It means that you are royal and that you are created to rule. And in the Bible, the words rule and shepherding can kind of be used simultaneously. Um, So we could say to rule is to bring out the full potential and to look after that which is under your rule. This is the original story and this is the way we give glory to God, to live as representatives of him, to stand tall in our identity representing him. Number two, to be made in the image of God means humility. Question for you, what's the greatest light? Is it the sun or the moon? Yes, very good, the sun. You know your science, very good. The moon's light is just a mere reflection of the sun. So to be in the image of God means that there is a source greater than us. Um, Glenn talked last week about modern identity, and modern identity teaches us to look inside ourselves to find the truth and to find, you know, the essence. Modern identity puts you on the throne of your own life. It suggests that you're a son, and that out of your own being, you can just radiate light. But the truth that you're made in the image of God totally denies and disproves that thinking. Because we are merely the reflection of something else, someone far greater. But what an incredible privilege we have to be ones who get to shine his light, to reflect him. 
The third thing, to be made in the image of God means responsibility. We're to look after plants, animals, natural resources to bring out their full potential. Now, these are things that each one of us should be thinking about because one of our primary mandates was to look after the planet. As Christians, it's definitely our business because we read the Bible and his divine mandate where God says we are to rule and shepherd creation. And people, humans made in the image of God, we need to be especially concerned about the welfare of people. People are made in the image of God and we should be appalled when they are treated badly. It should make something rise up within us and say, no way, because it's beneath God's glory. It's beneath the dignity for humans to be treated like that. There was this priest called John of Kronstadt. Um, He was a 19th century priest at a time when alcohol abuse was just really rampant. And none of the priests would venture out of the churches um, to help people. They waited for the people to come to them. But John was compelled by love, and he went out into the streets, and he would lift up those who were hungover, foul-smelling, and hold them in his arms and say to them, this is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. You see, it's beneath the dignity of people to experience those circumstances. They are meant to house the fullness of God. And what is God stirring within us? Will we allow ourselves to be stirred? That's another question. Will we allow ourselves to be stirred for the things that concern God's heart? What assignments could God want to release to us today to minister to the vulnerable? Number four, to be made in the image of God means connection. Now, in modern society, identity is highly um, valued as being individualized. Yet God created us in his image, and that means he built us for a relationship. First and foremost, for relationship with him. He designed us for that face-to-face connection with him. Unbroken connection. And he created us for relationship with others. And Glenn touched on this last week. Let's just look at Genesis 2 again for a moment. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Last week, Glenn made the point that um, when God was creating, he kept saying, after he created something, he would say that it was good. And then all of a sudden, in this chapter here, God says, it is not good. God's saying in that verse that it's not good for man to be alone. We're supposed to do life together with other people. We are never meant to go it alone. It's just a wee note here. Some people might try and say that women were an afterthought by God. Some people have said that. Hopefully not in this generation. But here's the truth. When God made Eve, she was not an afterthought. She was the answer to the problem of man being alone. Now, this is not just about woman being there to help the guy. That's not what I'm saying. Yes, we can do that, woman. But that's not what I'm saying. Women are created as joint ears. As God answers, as ones who are key to bringing solutions to the world around us. More from Glenn on that topic next week. You want to be here. 
We thrive in community, male and female. And the feminine and the masculine together more completely actually reflect the nature of God himself. This is a vision of complementarity where women and their strengths come together with men and their strengths in marriages and leadership teams, workplaces in every sphere. Here's a little side fact. Did you know that it's both lions and lionesses that roar together to show the strength of their pride? Adam and Eve were both called to dominion. They were both called to rule and to reign. And they were both called to raise children. It's a little interesting point for you there. (laughs) Number five, to be made in God's image means that we are redeemable. Now, the Sistine Chapel, has anyone ever visited the Sistine Chapel? Is anyone here? Oh, there are some of you. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, It was celebrated for a long time as like this genius work of art. But as well as that, some people really thought that it was a little bit kind of like lacklustre, like that the colours he used were mediocre, like too dark, too monochromatic. But when experts finally restored these works to their original state, everyone could see the beautiful colours. The pinks, the greens, the vivid yellows, the sky blues, and they were all against a warm grey background. It's just like us. Without God, our image is faded, not quite what it was meant to be. Our glory is damaged, but it's not completely destroyed. It's still redeemable. Jesus, the perfect image of God, came to restore our true identity. Peter. He's a good example of this, the disciple Peter. He was the first one actually to identify who Jesus was. So Jesus, um, in uh, Mark chapter 8, Jesus was asking the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. And even though he declared who Jesus was there, we all know that he ended up denying Jesus three times um, right before Jesus um, went to the cross. And watching Jesus die, you know, what would he have been thinking? What would he have been feeling in that moment? Like probably utter despair that he had let Jesus down, that he'd forsaken him. And probably this feeling of, I can't put it right. What am I going to do? Jesus is dying here. But Jesus had another plan because we all know he came back from the dead. Um, And then he came to the disciples and they'd been out fishing. Jesus came to them on the beach and he said, Simon Peter, He asked him some questions. He said, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus then replied, feed my lambs. Jesus specifically asked Peter three times if he loves him. And each time Peter says, yes, you know that I love you. Peter had denied Jesus three times. But Jesus gave him three opportunities to declare his love for him. It's almost like each declaration of love was kind of undoing each denial. You see, Jesus is in the business of restoring us to himself. And not only did he do that for Peter, he gave him a new name and he gave him a new call because his name before that had been Simon, which means a reed. He changed his name to Peter, which means a rock. He took Peter from being somebody that fished for fish to being somebody that fished for mankind, that shepherded mankind. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that is for each and every single one of us. We are new creations. 
So how do we actually know our identity and how do we walk in that? Last week, Glenn was talking about something called identity markers and he mentioned, I don't know, maybe six or seven of those and a few of them were something, um, some things like personality, uh, history, uh, your call, your gifts, that all of those things help to shape us. But where identity markers have been harmful, or at the least not helpful, they do not need to define you. Your past mistakes don't define you. Your parents' mistakes, your grandparents' mistakes, your great-grandparents' mistakes do not need to define you. And today you may need to make a conscious decision just to stop listening to, the, to other people's voices that are negative. You may need to make a conscious decision to stop listening to the lies that the enemy is trying to speak over you. You may, dare I say it, need to make a conscious decision to stop looking at social media. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. We don't want our joy robbed, do we? Some of us need to choose to stop comparing ourselves to others. Actually, we probably all need to choose to do that. We probably all struggle with that, if we're honest, at some time or another. For me, that was probably one of the biggest things I had to do, um, one of the things, to strengthen my own identity, just to choose to stop comparing and to choose to focus on what, how God had made me, the giftings he'd put with inside of me. You know, there's always going to be someone who's more creative than us. There's always going to be somebody who's better looking than us. There's going to be somebody who's better at playing rugby. French. I'll move on really quickly. There's always going to be somebody who's better at art, who's better at dancing, who's better at, I don't know, whatever you can think of. There's always going to be somebody that's better at that. But God made you how he wanted you to be. You are the only you. You're the only one with the unique mix of gifts, personality, experience, and call that you have. God created you with design and for a purpose. He created you with a call and stop trying to be someone else. You know, people, and we could say media as well, actually, can be like mirrors to us. Now, if a mirror is whole, if it's like clear, clean, and unbroken, it reflects a pretty accurate image back to us when we look in it. But if a mirror is damaged, if it's cracked, when we look into it, it's going to reflect back a distorted image of who we are. Question to ask you, do you have whole mirrors, whole people, reflecting back to you your image, your worth? Or do you have broken people reflecting back to you your worth? We need to be wise in who and what we are allowing to reflect our image back to us. I remember discussing this with Richard Black once um, in a supervision session. We were talking just about the opinion of others and it was something that I'd been struggling with a little bit. And he said to me, who are the mirrors in your life? Who are the people that you trust to reflect the truth back to you? What did they say about you? And I thought that's a really interesting thing because often, you know, we look to the Word of God, which is our first place to reflect back to us 
what we should be believing. But actually, those true, those trusted whole people can reflect back to us what God is saying about us. So who are those people? Find them. If you don't have those people, come and talk to some of the leaders here. Let them reflect back the goodness of God and what they see in you to you. Dig into his word, like I said. Find those verses on identity. Make them your own. Look into the mirror and tell yourself those verses. Speak them over your life. You see, this is a fight. Our identity, standing up into the full reality of who we are, is a fight. And we need to get into the word of God to find what he says and to let his word do its work within us. Because if we want to be those people who live really, truly, fully alive, revealing the glory of God, we must live in the truth of what God says about us. Here's just a few verses for you. Get you started. This first one was one that I clung on to as a teenager when I was just pushing against rejection. Isaiah 41, God says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its furthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. 1 Peter 2, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Take hold of these verses, speak them over yourself. God is the one who ultimately defines you. He is the one who created you in his image. He is the one who says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He is the one who says you are a work of art. He is the one that has designed your call, that has chosen you, that says you're his masterpiece, who planned for you to exist. He has a call for your life. Pastor John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, um, read this from him recently. He said, Identity is revealed not discovered or constructed by ourselves. We have to trust that God knows our hearts. He made us, he loves us, he's called us. There's a purpose and destiny for us. Our job is not to discover ourselves, it's to discover his calling. See, when we know whose we are and who we are, we have the security and the courage to step outside of ourselves and to step into those good works that God originally planned for us to do and to rule and to reign. See, making us question our identity, as we read back earlier, that was something that the devil did for Adam and Eve. But it's a tactic that he continues to use now. And it's been ramped up in this generation. Why? See, I think the devil understands even better than we do the threat that we pose to him. If we truly know that we are God's son or daughter and start living like that, we are unstoppable. Genesis chapter 3, a bit more of the story. After Adam and Eve had sinned, after they'd eaten from the fruit that God told them not to. In Genesis chapter 3, 15, God's speaking to the serpent, speaking to the devil, and this is what he says. And I will put enmity, which is just open hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed or offspring and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. What that's saying, the devil might try and bruise our heels. 
He might try and inflict some pain, some damage on us. But Jesus has fatally bruised the devil, or in some versions it says he's crushed the devil's head. This verse is actually the first glimpse in the Bible of the salvation plan of Jesus Christ. Right back then, there is hope, there is redemption. See, Jesus Christ is the one who ultimately crushed the devil's head. But this speaks to us today too, of our authority, of us, of our children, of future generations, of us standing in the authority we have been given through Jesus Christ. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I've given you authority over all the enemy's powers to trample on snakes and scorpions and crush them under your feet and nothing shall in any way do you harm. You see, that serpent crushing, scorpion stomping kind of authority is what Jesus has actually given to each one of us as believers in Him. The devil knows the potential that this generation carries to really live as God's sons and daughters. See, that sonship, that daughtership, in some ways that had been lost over church history, the understanding, the revelation of that, and that's being restored back to the church over more recent years, to know what it really means to live as sons and daughters, to understand our identity, to know the truth of that. The devil understands the potential for this generation to release God's goodness on this earth, to really understand and look after the planet for one thing. He sees the potential that this generation carries for innovation and creativity. He sees the potential for the exponential spread of the gospel into this world because of modern technology. He sees the passion and the drive in this generation for the authentic, for the real, for the genuine relationship and connection. Now, I just feel such a grr in me. I don't know if anyone else feels that as well, but just this righteous kind of anger, this righteous roar of enough. Enough of the devil trying to destroy this generation. Enough of him robbing them from their identity and their confidence as kids of God. Enough of him trying to steal, kill and destroy from them. I read a prophetic word from Nathan Shaw during the week and he said this. The Father says, call this generation the identity generation. That is the opposite of what the devil's plan is. Call this generation the identity generation because that is what I call them. Do not be intimidated by the fierceness of the demonic attack against them. Tell them who they are. We need to pray for and call up this generation into knowing and understanding how fearfully and wonderfully they have been made. We need to speak to them of their value. Specifically, if you're in your 40s or older, you have an important job to do in this. There is a mandate on you to speak the truth of God over this generation, to call them up into their fullness. You have no idea how much impact you make by simply noticing a young person and encouraging them, by saying hi to them, I see you, you're incredible. 
by praying for them, by seeing the gold inside of them, by knowing them by their prophetic words, by the things that God is speaking over them, not maybe what you're seeing right in front of you at that moment. This is for the church, but it's for everybody out there as well. We need to be looking to speak value over this generation. It's time for us to stand up and say, you may have bruised my heel, devil, but I am going to stomp all over your head until it's crushed. This is for ourselves and it's for the generations to come. You may have tried to make me doubt who I am. You may have even tried to take me out, but in Jesus' name, I stomp on you. You may have tried to confuse this generation to steal, kill and destroy from them, but in Jesus' name, enough enemy. You are defeated. Let's stand together. just love to pray for everybody that needs it this morning, first of all. And then we're just going to go into a moment where we just stand together for this generation. This morning, as I've been speaking, you may have had things stirring within you around your identity where maybe words that others have spoken over you have just kind of come back to mind or we have just been aware of some brokenness in that area. But Jesus is your restorer. He is your redeemer. Today, He wants to restore and redeem you. Actually, just before we do that, is there anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus that is just saying today, I want to know Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I recognise that actually the way I'm restored, the way I'm brought near to Father God, the way I'm healed, the way my sin is paid for is through you, Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning that wants to say, Jesus, actually, I choose you today. I choose to give my life into your hands. Okay, I'm just going to pray as well because there's maybe somebody watching online this morning who's just saying that. So let's just pray together. Father, I just thank you for anyone who is right now just in their heart or has their hand up at home that's saying, I choose you, Jesus. Father, I thank You that we are brought near to You by the blood of Jesus, that we are restored and brought back into Your original intent. So for these people who are in their heart deciding to choose You, Jesus, we just give You all the rubbish. We give You the sin. We give You the rejection and the pain. And Jesus, we receive You as Lord and Saviour today. We choose to follow You from this day forward. Holy Spirit, come and fill and empower every single person, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go back to healing over broken, distorted identities. Jesus is the restorer, the redeemer. If you can relate to this this morning, just maybe just shut your eyes, put a hand over your heart, and we're going to pray and agree together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you lead us into all truth. And so God, right now, we're maybe we're not even aware that some of the things we've been believing have been lies. I just ask you right now just to shine your light on those things, just to reveal lies, expose them to the truth of your word, Jesus. God, where this has maybe been a really big struggle, this era of identity for people, 
Jesus, I thank you that you're the healer, you're the redeemer, you're the restorer. And I ask you to go in deep into those areas, even into some of those formation moments and heal. Jesus, I thank you for your incredible, big, strong, perfect, gentle love poured into every single heart here today. I thank you that your perfect love casts out all fear. And we choose today to just stomp on any lies that we've been believing about who we are. We choose to stomp on those accusations that the devil tries to bring to say you're not good enough or you're not really loved or you're not really made in the image of God. We stomp on those things in Jesus' name and you may even just need to make a stomp right where you are, just a prophetic act of no more. I'm not going to align with those thoughts, with those lies anymore. Holy Spirit, just open our ears, open our eyes to the truth of what you say. God, I just declare over every single person here that your voice will be the loudest voice in their minds and in their hearts. God, that what you're doing will become so clear in their eyes and just the yuck, the past will just fade away. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to just come and speak into us. We give you just permission to come and bring truth. And let's just take a moment just to say, I just want to say in your own heart, Father, is there anything that you want me to know about my identity? Is there anything that you want to say to me today? Just pause in that for a moment.